It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at MIDI Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. And I'm, uh, I'm a recovering, recovered alcoholic. <laughs> because apparently there's this... Um, like a civil war in AA or something? Is it, I've had 15, am I recovered? Am I recovering? Whatever. So I've recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body. So I'm, I, here's the deal. I, I'm in my 42nd year, which means I have 41 years. But I'm in my 42nd year. Because you always want to give yourself like a bump up. But it's legitimate. So, so what I want to do is, um, you know, some of you may think, if you really look at this thing, who have been around for a while, some of you may think that every one of my meetings is sort of like about the same thing. You ever notice that? You know, it's sort of, you would be right. I just say it a different way. But I'm, I'm gonna tell you something. Um, there are some people here who have been here quite a while. And some people have been here like five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. And You'll probably admit to yourself, or maybe you won't, I mean, you are alcoholics, you're entitled to be defiant, <laughs> that as time goes on and you experience a lot of things, that your, your, your thoughts have changed about a lot of stuff. Like, if you have five years, you probably don't see things the way you saw them at, like, one year. If you have 20 years, you don't see them the way you saw them at 10 years. If you have 30 years, you don't see them the way you saw them at 15 years. Even the way you read the book, you may read the book, the same book, the same exact book that we read, and you may read this book and read the same line in this book, the same sentence that never meant anything much to you, and all of a sudden they mean that's the key. I mean, so I've been doing this for, what, 41 years, and uh, I, my um, perception of what this thing is really about has changed a great deal. Now, you don't have to get mad at this. I'm just going to tell you, my, my, whether it be my job or whatever it's going to be, I feel more comfortable telling you the truth about who I am, what I am, and what I believe <clears throat> when I see my experience, strength, and hope than just trying to teach you like I'm some sort of stupid professor or something. So what I'm going to reveal to you 
What I want to reveal to you is what I see after 41 years, what I see. Now, this is my own personal experience. Don't blame me. I'm not at fault. I'm a product of 41 years of working in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. So if you hear anything you don't like, you need to write New York and say, <laughs> you screwed up on this guy. You know what I mean? But I'm going to say some stuff to you. And uh, I hope it bothers a few people because then you'll be thinking about me as you walk out of here. I won't be thinking about you, but you'll be thinking about me. And it may bother you, you know, or maybe not. But my, you know what would be the greatest thing in the world? I think the greatest thing in the world uh, for me is when you walk out of a meeting, whether you're pissed at the person or you don't like the person, I think the greatest thing in the world is when you walk out of the meeting and you can't forget the meeting. And you can't forget something somebody said because it's like bothering you or irking you or you're trying to figure it out. And then all of a sudden one day, it could be a week down the road, you say, Shh. I don't know how many times somebody would tell me something. I have a story about the crazy priest. I'm not going to go into that story. We'll, we'll tell you something. It'll just piss you off. And then like two hours later, and you want to kill the guy, you think he's such an idiot. And then two hours later, you're sitting there saying, holy shit, he's right. Because part and parcel of our alcoholism is like to deny and to think differently. And all of a sudden, somebody throws a new thought out to you that you would never even consider. And maybe that's part of the problem you have. A new way of looking at things that you didn't even consider. And then all of a sudden, you, you really think about it and say, he's right. And you see a problem where you never saw a problem before. So I want to try to explain to you what I see in the big book. Now, what a lot of people see in the big book is they see the program of recovery. Right? It's not what you see the program of recovery. You see steps? That's not what I see. That's not what I see at all. I just want to throw it out there that way so you can start being pissed off. <laughs> say, I don't want to listen to this guy. Or maybe intrigued. I said, what the hell is he talking about? What if I told you that when I look at the big book, I don't see the steps. I don't see the stuff you see in the book. I see something completely different. You know, sometimes, what's that line? You can't see the forest for the trees? Mm -hmm. What if I told you that on every page of the big book, it says only one thing? Only one thing. But alcoholics don't see it. The whole book is about one thing. Just one thing. I'll give you a hint. There is one who has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. The rest of the book is designed so that somehow, maybe after 40 years, you'll understand what the hell they were talking about. Because our problem is not alcohol. That's just a symptom of the disease. The problem I have is the way I think. And I love to think. I'm an obsessive thinker. And guess what? Not only do I love to think, I think I'm right. And I think you're stupid. I think you're freaking stupid, you know? Now, if you would come up to me when I was 15 years old, you know, the first time I got laid, I was drunk. That is the only way I would have ever gotten laid in my life, you know? That pattern repeated itself for about 15 years. <laughs> sure, you're listening, you're laughing because you don't know what it's like, you know what I mean? Drunk or high. So if you would come up to me when I was 15 years old, you know, don't listen to Sheldon, you're too young for the two of you. 15 years old, and you told me that the way I drank and getting drunk is not good for me, I would tell you to go screw yourself because it was the only thing that really worked for me. At 31 years old, I can't do the math. I don't know how long, what, 15 years? In 31 years old, 
16 years. If you, 16 years? Yeah. 16 years later, I was 31 years old. If you had come up to me and told me I need to stop drinking, I would have listened to anything you would have said and got down on my knees and asked God to help me with the drinking. I would have done, as a matter of fact, I did do that. Now, I didn't get smarter over 16 years. You know what happened to me over 16 years? And maybe you notice that this happened to you. I went through a whole lot of experiences. I went through a whole lot of experiences. You know, there's a line in the big book. You know, these are lines that people skip over. They don't really think about unless they've been through a lot of experiences. It says, it says, you will learn the value of suffering. You don't see this too much at beginners meetings. Beginners meetings, you tell them, and then we got beginners here, so don't listen to this, guys. Beginners, you say, hey, you don't drink, you go to meetings, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fantastic. Let me read you these promises. Let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to go on the rocket ship ride. Everything's going to be wonderful. You're going to get everything. That's what you say. You don't say, listen, you're going to love this thing because after the first 10, 15 years, you're going to learn the value of suffering. You know, It's not a good selling point in Alcoholics Anonymous. You know what I mean? But those of you who have 20 or 30 years, you know a little bit about suffering. There's a line in the big book that says the way we get a new perspective is unbelievably painful. Not just painful. Unbelievably painful. This Now, people, if you go to meetings, a lot of meetings say, let's talk about the promises. Let's talk about, let's have a meeting on the promises, the promise of the week or the tradition or something like that. You don't go to meetings where they say, let's talk about how unbelievably freaking painful sobriety is. How horrible it is. You know, we don't talk about but But if you've been around for 20, 30 years, you know that it's been... Very, very painful. And you also know that the only reason, or I would say it this way, you don't want to say the only reason, that's generalization, that a huge portion of the reason you're not only the way you are today, but all the lessons you've learned today, and all the increases in maturity you have today, and the wisdom you had today, was not brought about during times when everything went good, was brought about at times when you were broke, when you were lonely, when you had nothing, or something horrible happened to you. As a matter of fact, you might even talk about those times in meetings as something you want to talk about because you learned a lesson about those times. So just look at me as somebody, you know, I'm not perfect or anything like or any close to that. Look at somebody that's had more experience on horrible shit. On cancer twice. On raising kids and every on supporting on being brought more experience on just horrible shit. And when you have a lot of it, you know, there's this love. I love this commercial, a farmer's commercial. We know a lot because we've seen a lot. You ever see that commercial? We know a lot because we've seen a lot. Well, I know a lot because I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot in my life. I've seen a lot in here, people going out with 20 years or 10 years or 15 years. I know a lot because I've seen a lot. And so because, I, I, because of the way my, I've changed, 
And you know, this is all about having a, what does it say? This, this profound personality change where it says ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were the guiding forces of these men's lives are shifted to one side and they become dominated by a whole new set of ideas, emotions, and attitudes. If and when that happens, and you know it must happen, because I'm going to tell you this, this book is not lying. It doesn't lie. If it says in this book that you, we have been rocketed in the fourth dimension of existence, they could have used any term. They could have said, well, we're doing better, or we're feeling better, or we're having a good time. But when they say we have been rocketed into the fourth dimension of existence, let me tell you what they're not saying. They're not saying we don't drink anymore. They're not saying we got sober. They're choosing the words very carefully. We have been rocketed into fourth dimension. So that means that is an absolute possibility in Alcoholics Anonymous. So if you're not being rocketed every day in the fourth dimension of existence and experiencing the joy of living, if I was you, I'd be pissed. You put in five years, you're not experiencing that shit, I'd be pissed. You put in 20 years and you're not experiencing that thing, I'd be wondering, what the hell is this? This is like bullshit. I've been doing this for a long time, and I don't feel that way. I'm still worried about money. I'm still, because I can promise you this. I promise you this. The moment you stop drinking, maybe not the moment, maybe a month or two later, you will get to experience high anxiety. <laughs> anxiety in your life, fear in your life, loneliness in your life will increase dramatically the moment you stop drinking. No, 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 you won't be able to drink it away. No, 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 you won't be able to feel, you won't be able to sit by the phonograph and just drink yourself into oblivion, you know, so at least for at least one night, you're off the freaking planet Earth, you know what I mean? And you can listen to music like Only the Lonely or I'm Mr. Blue or Rainy Days of Money, you can listen to that stuff. No, 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 it's three o'clock in the morning and you're broke and your wife left you, or your girlfriend left you, or your boyfriend left you, or something terrible is about to happen to you, or you got cancer. No, you're going to go through that cold stone sober. You know? And you know something? The Carl Gables group of Alcoholics Anonymous ain't going to be there with you. And your sponsor isn't going to be there with you. Your biggest hope, you know what I mean, is you might, don't drink and you might make it to a meeting where you might feel a little bit better or call a sponsor but it's going to be a serious trudge job. You're going to learn the value of suffering. But let me tell you something. As you learn the value of suffering, I'm going to tell you something for the first 10 years, it ain't going to seem all that valuable. Really, you're, going to, you're not going to be looking at it the way I look at it. Boy, I lost my job. This is freaking great. No, <laughs> oh, my girlfriend left me. Fantastic. Love this shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> They're towing away my car. Oh, how could my life be any better? This is wonderful. I said something stupid at a meeting. I know they're all thinking bad things about me. Thank you, Jesus. You know what I mean? This is great shit. You know, I love this sobriety stuff. You know what I mean? So, um... But I, so, so how could they say things like that? How can they say you're gonna learn the value of suffering? 
how does the uh, how does this tie into the God thing? There is one who has all power. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because when people first come into alcohol, and obviously they really totally misunderstand what alcoholism is. I think most people that come into Alcoholics Anonymous, I think most people here today, and I'm, I, I hate to even say this because you're saying you don't know me, I think most of you think alcoholism has something to do with drinking. It has nothing to do with drinking. And the only reason I say nothing to do with drinking, because obviously it's an exaggeration. It has something to do with re- drinking. I mean, that's why the word alcoholics is in it, you know what I mean? But it really has nothing to do with drinking, because everybody I've ever spoken to in AA in a group like this, they're all sober. Some are sober for 20, 30 years. So... I mean, we don't drink, but we all have alcoholism. We've all recovered from that hopeless state of mind. We Let me tell you what a hopeless state of mind and body is. You wake up in the morning, you say, I'm not going to drink today, and you mean it, and by 5 o'clock you're drunk. And you do it over and over and over again, and you can't stop. That's a hopeless state of mind and body. That's a hopeless. I've recovered. I re- on January 25th, 1981, I had my last drink. I recovered, I have recovered from that whole state of mind and body. Why don't I drink today? Really, why don't I drink today? It's not like all my problems are gone. Why don't I drink today? So I'm going to get into a little bit about that and how, why I believe I don't drink today. And, and what does God have to do with this whole thing? Why is the God thing stressed? Why is that so important? Because we know according to the book, yeah, Alcoholics and Opposites, we know according to chapter to the agnostics. It's a, now, we know all over the book, on every page of the book, I'm, I could go through about 20 pages right now by memory. But let's just do this one. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that's the root of our problem. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, we step on the toes of others, they retaliate, seemingly without provocation, but we learn that we made decisions based upon self, which puts us in a position to be hurt. So an alcoholic is self overrun right, though he usually doesn't think so. That's talking about us sober. Men and women drink drink because they, they like the effect produced by alcohol. They're restless, irritable, discontented. We drink because we hate being sober. We don't know we hate being sober. We have no idea we hate being sober. All we do, all we know is that drunk feels better than sober. You know what I mean? Or else we wouldn't do it. Drunk feels better than sober. So we hate being uh, being sober. But the problem is, is we can't stand being sober. So we drink. But I have recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body. But now I'm sober again. And now I'm experiencing a disease. The drinking is a symptom of the disease. The real disease centers in my mind, not my body. So the first thing I gotta figure out over the next 10 or 15 years, and this helps with the experiences to learn the value, is I gotta learn what this dis-ease is really all about. Now here's the problem. I love, I, I, it's, I can learn what the disease is all about, but I hate the cure. I'm going to use the word cure. You know, you can put, take it any way you want. I hate the cure. Now, let's say you have a disease and the doctor says, I can solve that. All you have to do is take this pill and say, I ain't taking the pill. Ain't no way I'm taking that pill. You know, I'm not going to do it. You ain't going to get cured of that disease. How do I know that alcoholics hate the cure? How do I know that part of the disease of alcoholism 
is we run away from the cure. Because the big book says, there is one that has all power, that one is God. It says, above everything, we must get rid of this selfishness, because that's the root of the problem. We must, where it kills us. God makes that possible. They could have said higher power makes that possible. They, but see, they're past that. They said God makes that possible. And there seems no other way of doing it. And then it says, once you make that decision for God, and that means utterly abandoning ourselves to God. It means turning ourselves over. That means once we abandon ourselves to God, then over the 11th step, we try to abandon ourselves more and more and more. Over the 6th step, we try to get more and more and more close. Well, everything's about God. Once we abandon ourselves to God, it says all sorts of remarkable things happen. That's when the remarkable things happen. That's when the remarkable things happen. If you're not being rocked into the fourth dimension of existence and experience much of heaven and the joy of living, I got news for you. You haven't experienced remarkable things. You've experienced it. The stand, in other words, if you were buying a Cadillac or a Mercedes, you're getting basically the factory, the factory options. You know, you understand what I'm saying? You're getting what basically goes along with somebody who doesn't drink and goes to a lot of meetings and has friends and has a sponsor. You're getting a lot of good stuff. You're relatively okay, but you're still experiencing anxiety. You're still experienced. You're dead into the disease. You're certainly not being rocketed into the fourth dimension of existence and experiencing much of heaven. You see, because you're not in, in it for the extra credit. Hmm. And the reason you're not in it for the extra credit is because you're doing something called half measures. Which, by the way, avail you nothing. You're not. You're doing the middle of the road solution. There is no middle of the road solution. They meant what they said. God is either everything, or he's nothing. You can't love God and cash. You can't love God and the woman. You can't love God and sex. You can't love. I mean, the book is clear. But here's what you need to understand: If you're an alcoholic, one of the consequences of being an alcoholic is no matter how clear something is. If you don't want to do it, you don't think it means that. You understand? Now, this is what you have to understand. When my I, I use the line I use is one of the typical alcoholic things is uh, unless until an alcoholic accepts his alcoholism and all his consequences, sobriety be precarious and true happiness will find none at all. One of the consequences of, of, of being an alcoholic is you're blind. You are freaking blind. You hear what you want to hear, you see what you want to see, and if somebody says something that really gets to you, and you don't like it, you say, well, that guy's pretty much full of shit. <laughs> and you walk out the door, because you don't want to hear anymore, because you know this has nothing to do with you, and so you don't hear it. That's the bottom line. And the book says some very clear things. It says, it says, if you sincerely give yourself to God, all sorts of remarkable things happen. And he... He will give you everything you need if you stay close to him and perform his work well. And the book is all about performing his work and how you get close to God. But here's what the book also says. Here's what it also says. It says this. I'm even going to read it to you. I, I can actually say it, but I want to read it to you because I want you to know it's actually in the book. It's just, here's the problem. It's in the book. But it's possible that you guys don't really know what you're reading. What if I read it to you and I tell you, why don't you read it a little bit of a different way? This is in chapter two, Agnostics. If a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life, what's a mere code of morals? 
let's say do the next right thing. How about that? Anybody ever heard something? Well, I'm just gonna. How about how about this? Good orderly direction. The Ten Commandments. I don't care. How about that? Good orderly. Do the next right. What about it says? You know, I just do the. I believe good orderly direction. Do you believe in God? Good orderly direction. G O D. What if you make that your God? What you think is good orderly. You know what it says? If that would have helped us. We wouldn't even need this crap. We'd be sober a long time ago. It didn't help us because lack of power. We didn't have the. We don't have the power for the rest of our lives under all circumstances to do good orderly direction. When the cancer comes, when the money gets low, when the wife or husband leaves, when we're hit by the vagaries of life, life which is all around us, telling us all, we don't have the power. Therefore, we had to find a power that would work for us. And they say this. Now listen to this. This is this. You can't be clearer than this, but alcohol sounds like he says, well, that's exactly what this book is all about. It doesn't say it's about the steps. It says that's exactly what this book is all about. Its main object is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself which will solve your problem. You get it? That's what the book is all about. It's not about the steps. It's about finding the power. What if you do all the steps and you don't find the power? What if you do all the steps and you're not rocking in the fourth dimension of existence? What if you do all the steps and at 19 years you're depressed or you drink again or you feel like committing suicide? That means we have written a book which we believe to be spiritual as well as moral. You know how people say I'm spiritual, not religious? And it says, and it means, now listen to this, and it means... Of course, like like dummies, only dummies could. Of course, we are going to talk about God. How many times have you been to a meeting? And people say, "Don't talk about the God thing. Don't talk about the God thing. Be careful about the God. You'll kill newcomers. You'll chase newcomers up." And they say, "I don't say. Like I say HP, the tree, whatever. Oh. <laughs> Anything to avoid the truth." It's true that some things change as we get older, but if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause, and Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Anything to water it down. Because if you start saying God, then it sounds like Bible, it sounds like religion, it sounds like serious shit, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Not having a lot of fun anymore, not getting laid. You know, you know we know if you, if you believe in God, you don't get laid. You know, if you believe in God, there ain't no Mercedes. You know, no dancing, no going out, no partying, nobody, you know, you, you know what that's all about. It's, it's a punishing, it's bullshit thing, you know? Okay, so that's what the book says. 
That means we read a book that we believe these scriptures as well as more. And it means, of course, that we're going to talk about God. And then here's what it says. Here, the difficulty arises. So we're going to talk about the solution to alcoholics. And we're going to talk about God. And that's a problem. <laughs> and you know why it's a problem? For the same reason people walk out. Some people, you know why it's a problem? Because alcoholics don't like the cure. Because a major part of this disease is to deny the cure. A major part of this is that he's, maybe not only say deny, avoid the cure. Just memorize and just hold to your heart Appendix 2. Just memorize, memorize and hold to your heart as you understand him. And take that to mean that God is not important. You know, I mean, I'm a lawyer. You know, I'm a wordsmith. I know what it's like to look for exceptions to the rule and everything. Just decide to yourself that everything else they say in the book about God, there is one who has all power. You wrote a book about God. You know, that's the whole point about God. See the relationship with him is writing great events. You're real. And wipe all that shit out and replace it with, as you understand them. Which puts you as God. So nobody can tell you anything. You don't have to listen to anybody. You're your own God. You, you just make up some imaginary God that you can sort of like feel good about. And that's the deal. You know, and if anybody talks about God, just walk out the room because it bothers you. But of course, you know, whenever you, you know, whenever you're disturbed, no matter what the cause, there's something wrong with you. <laughs> so then we says his face falls when we talk about God. We mention God. So here's here's the here's the deal. Let me run through this fast because we only have 15 minutes. Let me talk to you a little bit about what I see in the book and what the what I see the disease is. I'm going to give you like three three or four instances of the disease in my life. I want you to think about them. Where the disease showed up in my life, the real disease that you're dealing with right now that has nothing to do with drinking. So I inherited some money when I was 18 years old. I don't know how much it was, 10,000, 15,000, whatever the heck it was. And I, I saw the new Camaros, and I had to have one. I craved it. I had to have I knew if only I had that Camaro, my life would be okay. In other words, I knew if I had the Camaro, I could get laid. Okay? <laughs> Look, I'm a, I'm a man. I don't know what it's like to be a woman. I don't know any of that stuff, but I know other guys, and I know guys my I Why do you get fast cars? Why do you get the good cars? And we all know why men get good cars and drive around the block and say, get them out, you know, because that's going to make them more attractive, they think, to a female. And, you know, that's the deal. You know, you can laugh at it, but it's the truth. And, you know, and, and by the way, that deal doesn't go away until they lower you into the grave unless you have some sort of profound personality change. That doesn't go away. Let me tell you what that is. That craving of female attention. Now, you may think it's just a natural thing. It is natural. But for us, it's alcoholism. It's part and parcel. It's, it's the same thing. Craving female attention for me to to the to to craving female attention or sex for me for me as an alcoholic is not much different than drinking. The feeling, the craving, the stuff I will do, how I will spend money I don't have to buy things I don't need and put myself in a destructive situation so I can get laid is no different than drinking scotch for me. 
As my sponsor would say, that girl is like a, for you, that's a bottle of scotch with legs. <laughs> now, there are some alcoholics that don't want to hear that. I didn't come in here to stop, you know, romance and everything like that. We're going to tie this in later on to what they say in the sixth step. Security, power, and romance. And to what they're saying what the real problem is with alcoholics. Because here's the problem, the drinking stops. But what I'm talking about doesn't stop. The disease I'm talking about does not stop when the drinking stops. It gets stronger. And as you look around the planet, everybody's involved in it, even non-alcoholics. So that's the first thing. So I buy the car. I get the car. I'm driving around the block. I'm feeling powerful. It's so great to feel like you're something instead of a nothing. Some guy rides up next to me with a good-looking blonde. He's driving a brand-new Cadillac, and I'm saying to myself, why can't I have a Cadillac? I mean, the feeling lasted, you know, <laughs> the feeling of being great lasted three blocks, and the payments lasted 36 months, you know? <laughs> now, let me tell you something. That has nothing to do with drinking. I wasn't drinking when I bought it. I wasn't drinking when I was driving it. I wasn't, you know what I mean? That has to do with something that is inside of me that will cause me to spend every cent I have to get something so I can feel something. You understand? Sure you understand, because that's your entire freaking life. So, I meet a girl, I fall in love with a girl, which means we're having a lot of sex. Because <laughs> that's the only thing I know about love. It has something to do with sex and attraction, things like that, you know, until she doesn't do what I wanted to do, and then I hate her. So, uh, that's, that's alky love, you know? You love her, you love her, you love her, and then she says no, and you hate her, you know? And, uh, you know, because it has nothing to do with love, it really has to do with, you know, getting what you want. And so what, what happens is I love this girl and one day she says to me, and some of you know this story, I have to, on, I'm with her every day for a year and her parents are up in New Jersey and she's down here and she says to me one day, says to me one day, well, my parents would like me to come home for a week for Christmas. And I look at her and I said, well, what about me? What am I going to do? I've been with her every day for that. What am I going to do? What are, like with such hatred. And we have a big argument. She blows me in. She says, I got to go and everything. She goes up. So I'm sitting there and I'm drinking and I'm thinking, and of course the drinking's coming in, but it wouldn't matter without the drinking. I'm still pissed off, I'm thinking. And then all of a sudden I realize I have a credit card I haven't maxed out. And I'm gonna buy a ticket and I'm gonna fly up there and surprise her. Because, because I love her. Because I love her. This has nothing to do with craving or doing crazy things or anything like that, because I love her. So I fly up in on Christmas day, I knock on the door, she says, I'm here. I'm here. You're a stalker. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know why I ran, drove up there? You know why I, I, I did that stupid, stupid thing? For the same reason I brought the Camaro. I don't even know. I didn't even know it was wrong. I didn't know I was doing anything wrong. I didn't know I was doing anything wrong, guy. So then I, I meet another gal, and she's gorgeous, she's beautiful, and nice, and. If I only had this gal, I'd be okay, I'd feel okay, I'd be something, I'd marry her and I have a kid and we have a house and everything's going okay and after about a year or two, I start looking around at other women. But I'm not gonna cheat because I am a man of integrity. <laughs> so every night I stay, while my wife is home with the baby, I'm watching the girls on the dance floor at the Alibi Lounge, saying, look at that redhead, look at that blonde, I wish I could do this, wish I could do that, but I'm not married. And the more I'm saying that, the more I'm saying I can't believe, you know, I got married too young, this is screwed up, blah, blah. And the more I see that there's something wrong with my marriage, there's something wrong with my wife, there's something wrong with all this sort of stuff. And five years married, my wife says to me, you come home drunk one more time, I'm leaving you. I come home drunk that, that, that time, I come home drunk that night, she kicks me out of the house, 
You understand what trips me out of the house? Now I say, and when I'm, I'm losing everything, I, 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 I'm losing everything that's important to me, that's important to a man. I'm losing my wife, my child. I'm walking away, and the only thing I'm thinking is, I'm free. I'm free to go to the bar. I can date all those women. That's what I'm thinking. And I'm, you know, like 29 years old. We go to a marriage council. Marriage council asks her, what's the three things you want to change about Russell? She says three things. I'm not even listening because I got a date that night. And I can't believe I'm being dragged back into this thing. He turns to me and says, what do, what do you want? How do you want to change? You know, your wife, I said, I just want to date other women. And that's the end of the marriage session. And I'm as sober then as I am right now. Because in my mind, I wanted to be out there and get laid and work the field and all that sort of stuff. And you know why I did that? For the same reason I bought the Camaro. For the same reason I flew up to New York. Because I craved whatever it is I was craving. The things of this world, the money, the women, the cars, the whatever to make me feel good. She wasn't making me, she wasn't working. I needed a new drug, like the song goes. So now the drinking gets out of control. I go crazy for so many other things because I'm an alcoholic, because I can't stop drinking, because I'm feeling guilty and I don't even know why I'm feeling guilty, because I am guilty and whatever the hell it is, feeling sorry for myself. So whatever it is, I get to the point where my life is over. I think it's never gonna be better again. And at 31 years old, at three o'clock in the morning, I hear somebody preach the gospel. I get down on my knees, I give my life to Jesus, okay? I ask, please help me. And I'm a Jewish kid from New York, so you know what I mean? I must've been really desperate. And then one month later, I wound up in AA, and I had my last drink. And I had my last drink. Now, wait a second. Well, wait a second. Here's the deal. So I stopped drinking. So I, I've given the gift of recovery. I've recovered from a whole state of mind and body. Did you guys see any pattern in that other shit I told you about just now? Now, let me tell you something. I told you about three or four things, right? Three or four things. The Camaro, the gal I chased up to New York, and my wife, right? I came to A when I was 31 years old. I'll bet you if you followed me, you don't think that's the only three things I did that I was selfish about, do you? That was my life. That's my, if you follow me around with a videotape, my life is 10 million things. Like Everything I did was like that. Every, every move I made up to 31 years old, was selfish, self-centered like that, and I didn't have a clue that that was a problem. I did it naturally. So now I stopped drinking. I'm giving the, dress, uh, the, 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 the gift of not drinking. It's been removed. I've been recovered from the drinking thing, but I, you know what I still have? I still have something that we affectionately call alcoholism. And you know what alcoholism is? It's not the drinking. That's the symptom. Alcoholism is whatever deal that is that caused me to do the three things I told you about. Whatever that deal is, and you wanna know something? I don't stop doing that shit. I don't stop doing that stuff. So then I have this 12 and 12. And by the time you get to step six, it says this in talking about the women, this in talking about the money, this and talking about the things of this world that's all around you, the movies and everything. This is what the book says about that. It says, certainly no alcoholic and surely no member of AA wants to deprecate material achievement. Now we don't put that down. Believe me, they do, but that's what they say. 
nor do we enter into debate with many who st so still so passionately cling to the belief that to satisfy our basic natural desires is the main object of life. We're not going to get into whether you should get laid or any of that stuff. But you ever have a, you ever deal with somebody you're sponsoring them and they say, yeah, yeah, I agree, but. You know what but means? But means forget everything I just said. Forget all that, okay? When it comes to you, alcoholic, we are sure, positive, that no class of people in the world, by the way, you need to pay attention to this because he's talking about you. I know he's talking about you because somebody at the beginning of the meeting said, are there any other alcoholics here? And you all raised your hands. You know what I mean? So don't get mad at me. He's talking about you. He says, but we are sure that all these people in this 12-step house tonight ever made a worse mess of trying to live by this formula than alcoholics. For thousands of years, and I'm looking at you guys, and some of you guys have been around for a thousand years. <laughs> we have been demanding more of our share of security, prestige, and romance. When we seemed to be succeeding, we drank to dreams, still greater dreams. When we were frustrated, even in part, you know, frustrated, you know, uh, filled with anxiety, scared, lonely, self-pity, we drank for oblivion. Never was there enough of what we thought we, we wanted. And so here we are in Alcoholics Anonymous, and the, the cravings of alcohol leaves. But now we've got all these other cravings that are still in place. And we go to the meetings and we complain about her or him or the relationship or the money or the security or the romance. And our whole life for years and years and years is complaining or feeling sorry for ourselves because we don't have the stuff in this world which we are absolutely sure is the answer to our problem. And we have a book called Alcoholics Anonymous that says, let me tell you what the answer to your problem is. God is the answer to your problem. And we're, and the problem is, we may use God every once in a while, we may have him here off to the corner, but we're really looking at the gal and the Camaro and the job and the money. And because of that, we go through a lot of suffering in that. Because the only solution to our real problem is to take all that stuff and flush it down the frickin' toilet. Hmm. And make God the centerpiece for our lives. I know that because the big book says, the great fact is this and nothing less, that God has to become the central fact of our lives. We have to become convinced that he lives in our hearts and minds in a way which is deep miraculous. He's going to do for us what we can't do for ourselves, but we cannot do that. We cannot do that. What did we have to do and go through just to give out the alcohol? We can't do. We are not going to give up the romance. We are not. We're going to. We're going to watch them Hallmark Channel. We are not. We are convinced that our life is shitty because our husband or wife is not like that, or doesn't look like that, or we don't look like that. We are not going to stop worrying about the cars and the money and everything in this world. You know, they love. I love what they say in the Bible. John, I'm not even going to order that. He says. The lusts of this world, the lust, the pride of life. And that's your alcoholism. That's where you're dying today. That's where people miss the mark. And that's why they say in the sixth step, this is what separates the men from the boys. The men are those who are trying repeatedly for their self life to grow in the image of life of their creator. God becomes the most important thing in their lives. They are just going focused on God. 
And all of a sudden, what they and then all of a sudden you realize that when you focus upon God and do whatever you can to focus on God, all of a sudden you're not focusing on the blondes. All of a sudden you're not talk, focusing on the guys. All of a sudden you're not focusing on the the romance. All of a sudden you're not focusing on the money. It's not that you never have a bad day. You really have you rarely have a bad day because who you are and what you are and what kind of person you are does not depend upon your bank account. You may go through problems, like we all go through problems, but what happens is you're always, your focus is upon your relationship with God, who will never leave you, you know? And what happens is, all of a sudden, all this other stuff that is the cause of the real alcoholism fades into the background. And you can call one of these uh, people that people, one of these people that people hate, like a Bible thumper, or a big book thumper, or a God thumper, you know? Hate, and now folks and honest, and you shouldn't be surprised that people hate this, because those are people that aren't really sober, by my standards. Amen. They don't have emotional sobriety, they're just dry. Because you know what? They're spiritual agnostics. They don't like what I'm saying, even though that's what the book says. So you see, I don't see the stabs or any of that stuff, which is important to see and it's important to do, and I've done them all, and I, quite frankly, I think I sort of do them without even thinking these days. What I, you know what I see when I open this book? It says, focus on God, focus on God, focus on God. Do his work, do God's work. And I trust him and I love him. And he's the most important thing to me. And he's given me an incredible life. So the reason I don't drink, I'll tell you why I don't drink. Because if I drank, I'd have to walk away from my God. I'd have to walk away from him. I'd have to give up my God. You know, a lot of people, believe it or not, there are people there, and I was one of these people, and there's nothing wrong with this, where one, sometimes one of the reasons I didn't drink is because I didn't want to leave Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't want to leave my friends. I didn't want to leave my sponsor. So I would actually stay sober because, believe it or not, left to my own device, if I was alone, I'd drink because who gives a shit? I'm a piece of crap. I might as well kill myself. I saw, you know, but I'll tell you what, many times I wouldn't drink because I didn't want to uh, disappoint my buddy or my friends, or my sponsees. So the idea of not drinking because you care about somebody else and you don't want to leave that relationship shouldn't be of a surprise to you. What happens if you not only have that, but you also have an abiding conviction that you have a God, that he loves you and you love him, and you don't ever want to leave him or disappoint him? Then it's more than just not drinking. Man, that's a powerful reason why not to drink. And there's not much that can, there's no, there's no lack of money, there's no cancer, there's no nothing that tears you away. That thing is strong cement. They talk about the cement in the book. Yeah. That puts it all together. There's everything cemented together. That's the cement, that's the glue in Alcoholics Anonymous. And that's the glue in Alcoholics Anonymous that most of the people in AA don't want to talk about and they don't want to hear about. You know, but unfortunately for you, I talked about it and you heard it. <laughs> so you have no excuse. You can't walk away and say, well, nobody ever told me that. Yeah. Or I didn't know that. Yeah. Now, every time you start thinking about the girl, the guy, the car, the this, and sucking your thumb, and you know, sometimes sucking car, and think about all that bullshit you think about, you'll, you know what? You know what the terrible thing is? You'll... Think about me. <laughs> I won't think about you. 
but you'll think about me. So I'd like insinuating myself into your brain. You can mind screw. Thank you very much. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.